Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's Thursday, it's August 24th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you. We'll have Thomas Casali of the Action Network joining us around 1015 today. It's going to be a college football conversation. We'll get his opinions on some win totals, conference champions, week one action. We'll dive into that with Thomas around 1015. We'll make room for your phone calls around 1030, 602, 260, 1060. And then Dan Leberfeld of Jets Confidence is set to join us to preview the New York Jets at 11.15. As we do, we typically set the scene with today's poll questions, and we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question, which is about those New York Jets and their win total over under 9.5 wins. And right now the masses are on the underside of things at 67% of the vote, over trailing at 33%. Yeah, it's been 12 years since, uh, 12 straight years, the Jets have not made the playoffs, and you know, they're, I guess I, you can tell me whether this is true or not. I assume they're favored to make the playoffs this year because the betting public, I'm sure, is pounding that because they get to see the Jets all the time and they know Aaron Rodgers and they think he's the greatest quarterback in history. Maybe he is, but he's he the great, greatest quarterback in history now. So we'll see. But I think uh, you know, the one thing that's the biggest negative to me is the offensive line, which I've been talking about for months. Uh, and uh, I don't think that uh, – there's much doubt that even if that offensive line kind of maxes out, that uh, if you consider the offensive lines that Rodgers has played with in Green Bay, this is likely going to be the worst offensive line he's ever played behind. To answer your question, on the FanDuel Sportsbook app, the Jets are minus 134 to make the playoffs. If you wanted to attempt to go the other direction for them to miss the playoffs, it's plus 110. I might be interested in that, but I'd be looking for a better number uh, than plus 110. I bet you can find a better number somewhere else. On Twitter, at KDUS AM 1060, Bob had a conversation with Mike Biardino of uh, the NDinsider.com to talk all things Notre Dame football as Notre Dame taking on Navy this Saturday in Dublin, Ireland. Over under nine and a half wins and under out in front at 55.6% of the vote, over sitting at 44.4%. Yeah, the uh, Notre Dame uh, total fluctuates. as we mentioned, for some of these win totals, but even more so in college, you can get some crazy disparity from sports book to sports book. Seen as low as eight and a half. There's a couple nines out there, at least one nine and a half, but consensus seems to be eight and a half at this point. So we'll see how that goes. But lots of change in Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman, second year of the head coach, yeah, a whole lot of his assistant coaches are not there anymore for a variety of reasons. Uh, they some uh, Tommy Reese left on his own and went to Notre Dame. Uh, Jim Laurinaitis, uh, his line, you know, Freeman and Laurinaitis were a linebacker combo on the field when they played at Ohio State in the early part of this decade or this uh, century, I should say. 
Uh, Laurinaitis has actually uh, opted and left and went back to – he's gone back to his alma mater and he's coaching there for the first time this year. Unfortunately for Ohio State, he still can't play because <laughs> he was a great linebacker. Maybe he can coach uh, these guys up a little bit because they weren't very good at line. Well, they were okay at linebacker last year. They sucked in the secondary. Maybe we can coach those guys too. Anyway, lots of change in Notre Dame. Freeman's back. Uh, they've got you know, Michael Mayer was their one offensive weapon for the most part. He's gone. Uh, Sam Hartman, however, is the quarterback now. And uh, he averaged more than 300 yards passing per game last year when he was at Wake Forest. And, you know, one of the, uh, you know, statistical, you know, you know, you know, leaders in the history of college football as far as passing yards because he played like 100 games at Wake Forest and now is opting for another year in college instead of going to the NFL. So uh, we'll answer both of those poll questions around 1130 today. As a reminder, your phone calls today, one phone call opportunity at 1030-602-260-1060. Also, the Arizona Diamondbacks, Saturday, August 26th. It's bear down time as the D-backs are hosting the Reds for U of A night presented by Chase. Fans can purchase a special event ticket package to receive a game ticket and co-branded U of A Diamondbacks tee. Visit dbacks.com slash U of A to secure your tickets it's the d-bags hosting the reds first pitch 5 10 p.m we'll also have a four pack of tickets a little bit later on in the program i was going to start today with some baseball we'll save the baseball for later instead we'll start with the news from this morning at this point now about an hour and a half ago you had the news come down that isaiah simmons has been traded to the new york giants for a 2024 seventh rounder as a reminder of just kind of how things transpired here Isaiah Simmons was taken in the 2020 NFL draft with the number eight overall pick at a Clemson the Cardinals here decided to decline his fifth year option this offseason making him available to be a free agent at the end of the year Jonathan Gannon meeting the media in Minnesota ahead of joint practices this morning according to Darren Urban on Twitter or X or whatever we're supposed to be calling it now uh, says here that Gannon is quoted as saying quote Isaiah did everything we asked of him moving forward this is the best way we want to play football against other people Monty Austinfort according to Darren Urban here has said that the deal came up in the last few days, not trying to stockpile picks, but that's what trades are mostly for this time of year. Yeah, unless they just can't deal with him anymore, uh, the Cardinals, I think, botched this up. Uh, You know, he's obviously, he being Simmons, a major disappointment there are a few players uh, that I've been more wrong about, even though I'm not completely taking a loss on this yet because I wouldn't be surprised if he turns into a really good player or at least a, a you know above-average player with the Giants who seem to have a pretty good de- idea what they're doing on defense. And it, it seems like they could use a linebacker that could you know rush the passer once in a while. So maybe uh, that'll be his role there at least to start with. But I think the Cardinals, unless they just felt that they had to get him out of here, uh, that he was some kind of locker room cancer at this point uh, or whatever, you couldn't wait and see if he did anything in the regular season and maybe get more than a seventh-round pick for him uh, at some point this year. Uh, so I think uh, you know, trading him now, unless they just thought that they had to get him out of here for reasons that – 
you know, we're not fully aware of right now, and you know, whether it's an insubordination thing or whatever, that's the only reason that I can actually condone them trading him this morning and getting only a seventh-round pick for him. Some numbers in 2020, he played 16 games, 54 total tackles, 43 solo, two sacks, one interception. In 2021, he played 17 games, 105 total tackles, 70 solo, one and a half sacks, one interception. In 2022, played 17 games, 99 total tackles, 68 solo, four sacks, and two interceptions. You've seen Isaiah Simmons move around the field, uh, playing inside linebacker, covering tight ends. You've seen him rushing the passer, and then the plan was to move him to safety playing a lot of free safety we saw here in camp and in preseason so far to start with the new uh regime in jonathan gannon well what we've seen here he's really can't cover anybody uh whether it be a tight end yeah when he was drafted i remember steve kime i don't remember the exact quote but he specifically mentioned george kittle uh covering george kittle was the reason they drafted him uh, they tried that the first year, and uh, like the first or second game they played against the Niners that year, Kittle just torched him. Uh, they've even put him in the slot and gone against some wide receivers. That's been a disaster as most recently as last Saturday night against Kansas City. Uh, the, well, the one thing that he, he's not particularly good against the run if he's playing, in fact, he's not good at all against the run if he's the inside linebacker. The one thing that he actually, I thought, did best was when he's on the edge as a rusher, and that's kind of what the Giants could, you know, they could use a few things on defense, I think, but, you know, their defense isn't bad, but, uh, you know, edge rusher, everybody could use some edge rushers, even though they already have a couple, but I assume that's what they're going to use him there, but that's the one thing that I think he did best here. Uh, we'll get into more about Isaiah Simmons when we talk more Arizona Cardinals in hour two. We'll also kind of take a journey back through the 2020 NFL draft, uh, see who was taken behind Isaiah Simmons at number eight as well. So we'll do that in hour number two. But we have to make room for Thomas Casali of the Action Network, set to join us to talk about college football, uh, some win totals for the year, conference champions. If we want to look ahead to week one as well, I know it's week zero here, so there are some college football games this weekend week one action one week away as well we'll take your calls today 602-260-1060 around 10 30 we'll also have that four pack of diamondbacks tickets as the d-backs are set to start a four game series against the cincinnati reds we'll dive into all of that here in the extra point on kdos am 1060 Download today to hear all of the national and local shows you love. That's the KDUS 1060 app. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. College football week zero is here. Week one, just one week away. So it's time to figure out what to do for our season win totals and just kind of general nuances about college football here. So we're popping on out to the KDOS hotline. Thomas Casali with the Action Network and co-host of the Ammer Hammer HQ. Thomas, it is Bob and Kayla. How are you today? 
I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Looking forward to the conversation here. So last college football season, we know it's going to have some major conference shakeups. They're coming. So this is the last college football season as we know it. Let's start here with the Big Ten. Ohio State has yet to name a starting quarterback. Michigan football has seen Jim Harbaugh self-impose a three-game suspension. Penn State has quarterback Drew Allar with the Nittany Lion team that has to get past Ohio State and Michigan this year. Are there a couple of things that stand out to you in the Big Ten with win totals or conference winner numbers with how this conference is shaping up? Yeah, I really like Michigan this year. Uh, They opened up plus 210, which I thought was a bad line because this is the first time in many years I think they're better top to bottom than Ohio State. Um, You know, last year I thought Harbaugh was a little bit ahead of schedule with a young quarterback. Uh, I think McCarthy's going to be better this season. They get a couple of big-time offensive linemen transfers, so they're going to be able to run the ball. Defense is there. We know that. Harbaugh's three-game suspension isn't going to matter. They have one of the best schedules in the country. Uh, They should be easily undefeated by the time they go to Penn State. So the way I look at Michigan is they, I think they have a two-game schedule. Either the, it's going to be at Penn State and it's going to be Ohio State at home. I think Penn State's going to be very good this year. I like the way Michigan matches up with them. You know, it's an interesting year because a lot of these top teams like Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State are, are replacing not just good quarterbacks but all-time good quarterbacks. So the, the window could be open a little bit for another team to sneak in there. We previewed Notre Dame uh, in the last hour. Season win total, it's eight and a half in a lot of places. A couple nines out there, I know. But let's go with eight and a half as far as the win total goes. Any interest in that? And also on Saturday, they're laying 20 and a half consensus number uh, against Navy and Ireland. Any interest in that game? Yeah, Notre Dame's interesting. Uh, I think the win total's right on the money. Uh, I see them being an eight or nine win team. I think their odds, as always, similar to the Dallas Cowboys, are overvalued <laughs> to win anything, right? Because people are going to bet Notre Dame no matter what. So the odds makers take that into account when they're when they're making the making the odds. So overall, I think Notre Dame's overvalued. I think they're going to be a good football team. The Navy game's kind of interesting because Navy's going to be one of the most improved teams in the country this year. I think they had a really good defense last year. I think the defense is going to be good again. You know, they really eat that clock. I kind of like the under in that game. 21's a little bit too much for me. I lean maybe. Uh, And, again, I think Notre Dame's going to be a good, solid football team this year. I don't think they're going to be a major, major contender to win it all, though. Thomas Casali, Action Network and co-host of the Hammer HQ. So you mentioned the under there, which got me just in general thinking about the new rule changes for college football this year with the running clock. And, you know, how is that going to change the number of possessions in a game? How is that going to impact, you know, certain offenses and what they want to do? And does that factor into anything when you're thinking about uh, totals for the game? And if you're also thinking about the spread, or am I just really thinking way Way too much into uh, potential clock clock management there. No, you're not. The one of the things I like to do though with a rule change is I, I don't like to guess. I want to see a couple weeks of data first, right? Like we, I want to see if this really does affect certain teams. Now, again, with a team like Navy, Navy's going to play slow, right? Unless they fall behind thirty-five nothing in the first quarter, 
they're going to milk every every second of that clock anyway. They're going to run the football. Uh, they throw it a little bit more now, but not, not as much as most teams. So I think when you get a team like that, then you can maybe put that into play. But what I would suggest, whenever there's a new rule change like this, you got to remember something. Odds makers, those books make money for a reason. Okay, These guys are pretty smart. They've already thought about this themselves. So that's kind of baked in a little bit to these early totals, but we'll see how it goes early on. But, yeah, but I, I would look for more like teams like Navy, Air Force, Army, teams that are going to run that ball and just use clock anyway. That could be a bigger factor in those games. Yeah, I've been betting on college football for for more than 40 years. I don't get too involved early in the season. I just like to watch teams play a game or two. Uh, before the season, you know, before uh, you know, once the season starts, before I got kind of get on the action here a little bit. Uh, so help me out here. How do you approach your early season betting? Well, I, I agree with you to an extent. I, I, there, there's certain teams, college basketball and college football. I think if you know the landscape beyond the top teams, you can find a little bit of value. For example, a team I'm very high on this year is Ohio. Uh, I thought they should have won the back mm-hmm. last year. Their quarterback got hurt for the championship game. They got 17 starters back. They're plus 280 to win the MAC, which to me is crazy. And then they're an underdog week one against San Diego State. I think there's some early value on a team like Ohio. So things like that I'll look at. You know, the teams that have a lot of change, the bigger teams that have a lot of changeover, right? I know it's different today because we have the transfer portal. But even that takes a couple of games to, to get rolling. Those are the teams I kind of stay away from. I, I want to get a look at them. But early in the season, one of the things I'll always, I always look at are this. I look at quarterback production. You have a quarterback that's coming back who's really good. And then I look at offense and defensive line. Not a lot of people look at this. But if you come in the season with a lot of returning production on the offense and defensive front and you can control the line of scrimmage early in the season, to me, that's a big advantage. Let's talk about offensive line here. That is a returning unit for Kansas State. However, you always have all the hype mentioned with Texas football and whether or not Texas is back, and so much is actually on them to win the Big 12. Uh, They're plus 100 right now. You have Oklahoma at plus 420, and then Kansas State at plus 500. So if you aren't buying into Texas being back here, uh, is potentially Kansas State with the experience of that O-line returning as well as the experience of quarterback Will Howard for his senior year. And then I also want to throw in Texas Tech at 11-1 to because they seem to make a big leap last year and everyone thinks that they're poised for big things as well again this year. Yeah, so I actually bet Kansas State last year at 15-1 because of these same reasons. I thought they were extremely undervalued heading into, the, heading into last season. Um, they have a great coach. They're going to run the ball. We know that. This year, though, plus 500, you know, that's where they should be. So I, I don't know if you're getting much value with Kansas State. Uh, they're still going to struggle with athletic teams defensively. Uh, for me, the Big 12, last year I thought it was wide, wide open. That's why I took a shot at a 15-1 odds. This year it's kind of wide open, but, it's you know, Texas to me is the best team. But, you know, they just seem to lose a game or two they should win. Uh, that's that's what I got to see Texas get over that hump. 
Um, I think Oklahoma is going to be much improved this year. You know, they had a lot of turnover last year, lost their coach, lost a bunch of players, but they had a good recruiting class. I think they're going to be in the mix. And, and I, you know, I, a lot of people do like Texas Tech. I think Texas Tech's going to be good. I think the number's about right. I'll just throw one team out there that I think people are sleeping on a little bit. The Kansas Jayhawks, if that defense can improve a little bit, they return their entire offense and their quarterback, Daniels, who got injured last year. They're going to score a ton of points. If their defense can just be okay, they're going to compete for that conference championship too, I think. Week zero, as you would expect, not a great-looking slate, and uh, but USC and Caleb Williams do play on Saturday. You just mentioned OU. Uh, Oklahoma, Lincoln-Riley teams, whether it be at Oklahoma or uh, you know, last year at USC, they, they had kind of have a history of starting fast. So any opinion on USC laying 30, 30 and a half at home against San Jose State? Well, I wouldn't bet against them. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, yeah the week zero, you know, it, it's tough. I, I appreciate there being football so I can sit home and watch it. But there's not a lot of matchups here that, that really intrigue me. The, the best game is probably Ohio-San Diego State from a competitive standpoint. Um, I think USC rolls. Uh, it's just a matter of, again, you mentioned early in the season, like how, how, how fast do they get off? Because when you're, when you're laying these kinds of numbers, you know, you can't you, – you have a poor first quarter. It's going to be hard to cover. But with their offensive talent returning, you know, San Jose State is, is a good team in their conference but they just don't have the horses. What I would look at is maybe a USC team total over. Uh, I think they're going to score a bunch of points. Uh, that's the way I would attack that one. Thomas Casali with the Action Network, co-host of the Hammer HQ right here on KDUS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. ACC football still sees Clemson favored to win the conference championship. The hype train, though, really rolling here for Florida State. Uh, even has Jordan Travis 12-1 to to win the Heisman right now. Drake May with UNC has big expectations thrust on him. They did lose their offensive coordinator, though, Phil Longo. So are you riding with the favorites, or is there another team that you have your eye on for this conference? So I have a long shot here that I took. Uh, It's based on one of the best schedules I've ever seen for a conference. I took Pitt at 25-1, to and if you look at their schedule, they miss a lot of the good teams. They they, they don't play Miami. They get North Carolina at home. They get Clemson at home. They they don't play Florida State at home. They don't play Clemson. Um, Their schedule is just built to make a run at the ACC championship game. Um, so I thought the number was worth taking a shot on them. Now, if you look at the bigger boys, I will say this. I think Clemson is starting to come back to the pack a little bit. I don't see that NFL talent all over the place like we saw a couple of years ago. Um, that opens the door for a Florida State, I think, to win the conference. And a team to watch for, Miami, I would say, will be the most improved team in the country. Now, their schedule's murder, so I think they're probably a year away from winning the ACC, but on a game-to-game basis, especially early in the season, the Canes will be undervalued. They're going to be really good this year. Speaking of Florida State, again, next week's schedule is the Florida State-LSU rematch this season. It's in Orlando. LSU, last I saw, was a small road favorite in that game. Any opinion on that? 
Yeah, that's going to be that. That's going to be a great game. Um, you know, uh, listen, LSU's loaded, Florida State's loaded. The I lean lean LSU uh, to beat Florida State only because of that. They have that SEC defensive front. I think that can wear teams down. Uh, it's going to go down in the fourth quarter. I, I think that's a really even matchup. But LSU is one of those teams in the SEC that's kind of sneaking around. You know, if Alabama slips a little bit with a new quarterback, LSU has a chance to win that conference. When it comes to the Pac-12, it's the last year as we know it. USC favored plus 200. They will be counting on three transfers on the offensive line, five transfers on defense to make a significant difference. Oregon plus 320 from a win total standpoint. Oregon State is uh, plus money to get eight and a half wins this year. How do you see this Pac-12 shaping up? I think the Pac-12 is going to be one of the more exciting conferences because I think you can make a strong argument for three, four, maybe even five teams to win that win that conference. Now, this is a, I think USC is very similar to the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't think top-to-bottom talent-wise the Kansas City Chiefs are a top-three uh, roster in the NFL, but they have one player that makes them a top-three team in the NFL. I think USC is very similar. I, I think maybe Washington and Oregon have more talent overall, but one of those teams has Caleb Williams. And I think that that masks a lot of weaknesses for the Trojans. So they're going to be tough to beat. But, man, watch out for Washington. They were ahead of schedule last year. And talk about a team that has everyone coming back. If you want to place a bet that's not the favorite, I'd go with the Huskies. You know, college football realignment. You've got OU in Texas and USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon, Arizona State, Arizona all changing conferences at the end of this year with all this change in the last year, these teams playing in their current conferences, does that alter or you know, do, you get, do you get any ideas about how to handicap some game? For example, Texas tech, they played Texas in the last game of the regular season. They're already talking that game up because they want to beat Texas one last time. Yeah. I think for schools like maybe like a Texas tech, like you mentioned, that's a big deal. I don't think, for the most part, the kids care. Um, These kids are football players. Line them up, tell them who they have to play, and they'll play them. But you get those places like Texas Tech that are kind of remote, that you know always feel like they're the little brother, and you have Texas coming in. You know that that, those little those circumstances, I think those will be good betting spots. But overall, like you know, USC, UCLA leaving, these teams leaving. These kids are going to line up, play football. The next year, they're going to line up and play football. I don't think overall it's going to make a huge impact. Thomas Casale with the Action Network, co-host of the Hammer HQ right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. In the AAC conference, you have Tulane football. Uh, They pulled off that upset in the Cotton Bowl. That's what everyone remembers over USC. But can they run it back here with Michael Pratt at the quarterback position? Plus 210 to win the conference in a win-loss total of 9.5. However, they're welcoming in UTSA, new to the AAC conference this year. So what do you think about uh, everything shaping up in this conference? Yeah, UTSA was my is my favorite bet of the of, of the off season here. Uh, them being plus four fifty when I bet them was insanity. They have virtually their entire team back. They have who I think is the best quarterback in the conference, and Frank Harris. And the team's absolutely loaded. 
So you look at them and Tulane are the favorites, in my opinion. Uh, UTSA misses Memphis. They missed SMU. They played Tulane last game of the season. I just thought the odds on them were crazy. They should have been either the favorite or the second favorite. So plus 450 on, uh, on the Roadrunners was, was great value. and They're going to be in that race the whole way. Uh, so it's going to be a competitive conference, but I think it comes down to that last game, Tulane and Texas-San Antonio. When it comes to any other plays that you really like heading into the 2023 college football season that we haven't touched on, what do you want to make sure we are aware of? Yeah, there's one. It's not sexy, but um, UConn over four and a half or over five wins. I think the Huskies are undervalued coming in. I think, you know, I think they have nine winnable games on their schedule. So they win, they, they win five of those. You're in good shape. I expect UConn went to a bowl last year. I think they're going to be better this year and make a bowl again. So if you can get that at four and a half, I think that's a really good number. Didn't uh, UConn just add one of the Pocano brothers to the staff too? Yep. There you go. Hey, Thomas, this has been awesome. We look forward to it, and we'll uh, catch up with you as the season continues on. Great. Thanks a lot for having me. You're welcome. Once again, Thomas Casali, Action Network and co-host of the Hammer HQ right here on KDUS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. College football week zero is here. And then, of course, the bigger matchups here for week one. Uh, I mean, Florida, Utah has maybe lost a little bit because of the situation status of Florida also what's the status of Cam rising with Utah but then you had touched on their LSU and Florida State that that's probably going to be the marquee matchup of week one for college football 602 that's the only game I'm really interested in quite frankly to watch well I'll watch all these games and try to learn something but that should be the best game and other than that quite frankly I'm disappointed with week one schedule in addition to the garbage schedule for tomorrow or Saturday, excuse me. 602-260-1060. That's the number if you'd like to chime in. We'll take your calls now. Talk to you on the other side of the break. We'll also dive into Major League Baseball. 602-260-1060. That's the number to join the program. It is the Extra Point. I'll turn those picks into gold. Wall-to-wall NFL coverage and the biggest stories coming to you from 3 to 5 p.m. The Rich Eisen Show here on KDUS AM 1060 and KDUS1060.com. Welcome back to The Extra Point here on this Thursday, August 24th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortelaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Thanks to Thomas Casali with the Action Network and co-host of The Hammer HQ for joining us in the previous segment, getting us prepped and ready to go for the college football season. If you missed it, podcast it over at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Speaking of the KDOS1060, app it's a good idea to download the app register and follow along with the different listener reward opportunities as right now there's a $100 gift certificate up for grabs courtesy of the Superbook Sports 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to chime in let's get into some major league baseball here and we'll start yesterday as the Diamondbacks did not play they had an off day but still things took place that impacted them and we'll start here with the double header involving the Reds and the 
Angels. In game one, it was a 9-4 win for the Reds, but the big news out of game one, Shohei Otani leaving the game in the second inning and later being diagnosed with a torn UCL. Otani, um, according to reports this morning, is seeking a second opinion before deciding if he needs Tommy John surgery. This season, though, for Otani, he has left games this summer with finger blisters, cracked fingernails, and hand cramping. He is a free agent at season's end. He's 10-5, and 3.14 ERA, 167 strikeouts on the mound. His hitting prowess has seen him hit 142 times, 91 RBIs, 44 home runs, which was leading Major League Baseball as of yesterday with a 304 average. Yeah, according to MLB Network, he's left eight games this season for a variety of different injuries, including cramping other than just that finger. And uh, it's something that I think baseball is kind of buried, uh, and the baseball network is actually buried, and MLB Network Radio is buried because they're trying to make him the greatest player in the history of the world, which might be the case. But nobody, you know, now that he's headed for UCLA, UCL surgery at some point, most likely, and he's already had one Tommy John surgery, by the way, in his career. Uh, the, now that that happened in the last 24 hours, it's coming, you know, everybody's bringing up the, the idea, what well, did they overuse him, misuse him? They should have been talking about this for, you know, three or four years until the last 24 hours. If I am Otani, I am absolutely getting away from the Angels organization. Well, I understand that. Yeah, I, you know, I probably would too. But uh, he likes living there, according to all reports. Uh, he likes living on the beach. I can buy that. Like, I wouldn't mind living on the beach myself. Uh, and also, remember, there was a bidding process for him when he came over from Japan, and you know that he chose the Angels, even though there was actually more uh, financial benefits for him to go other places. So it was, that was his choice. He took less money to sign with the Angels to begin with. So maybe that should factor in. I'm with you, but I think that that's uh, something that needs to, needs to be remembered, though. Fair point. Uh, the next thing that happened, though, in the doubleheader of uh, Game 2, the Reds won 7-3, to which impacts the NL wildcard race, moved them into the final spot, them being the Reds, and the Diamondbacks are now a half game back. Oh, before I get ahead of myself, though, Mike Trout also left uh, with the Angels yeah. once again. After less than a week of yeah. returning, why did they, they, they got to just give it up? Uh, obviously, they made us, you know, said, you know, days before the trade deadline when they already had started to make multiple moves to try to make a run. Why did anybody realistically think they were going to be able to make the playoffs this year? They're not good. I mean, you see 100 plus games like the stupid Padres. People still think because of the metrics that they're, they're, they're a dangerous team. They suck. I mean, how many games do you have to watch? You know, just watch the games and just, you know, a lot of the people that are saying this, unfortunately, watch no games and just look at the numbers all the time. And, you know, they have the high probability to win games and they should have won more games than they do because they have a positive run differential. They suck. And so do the Angels. And the Angels have completely misplayed everything for many years, no more probably than the last month or so of this year and the fact that they rushed trout back they're done i mean he's back for less than a week 
and you know he's having problems with his swing. No kidding, because he's not healthy. Um. Yes, absolutely. And so for the getting back to before I got ahead of myself there, uh, the Reds with their victory have now moved into that final wild card spot. So here's how the National League shapes up. The Braves, 82 and 44. The Dodgers, 76 and 48. The Brewers, 70 and 57. The wild card now with the Phillies, 69 and 58. The Cubs, 66 and 60. The Reds, 67 and 61. On the outside looking in, the Diamondbacks a half game back, the Giants a half game back, and the Marlins two games back. So this sets things up here for the Diamondbacks and the Reds to square off in a four-game series. It could mean a lot here with just 35 games remaining on the schedule here. Things get started 6.40 p.m. tonight with Brandon Williamson on the mound, 4-3, 4 4.47 ERA, 76 strikeouts, and the Diamondbacks are sending up Merrill Kelly, 10-5, 3.13 ERA, 134 strikeouts. Yeah, both these teams, the Reds and the Diamondbacks, have been better on the road than they have been at home this year. And the Reds, their numbers on the road are somewhat baffling if you just consider they play in uh, the Great American Small Park, uh, Hitter's Paradise in Cincinnati. And the thing that's most surprising is not necessarily they have a better record on the road than they do at home, which is surprising. But the thing that is really surprising is they have much their, their offense has been much better on the road than it has been at home where they you would think would just you know feast now the team that's faced it on at home in the greater american small park most of the time for this year against the reds has been the team that they're playing because the reds pitching staff is not good uh the reds were not terribly decimated by the double header yesterday because they you know basically cruised uh, and, uh, you know, certainly you can make a case that he kind of cruised in both games, quite frankly, but uh, definitely in, uh, in the second game of that doubleheader. So um, I haven't seen whether they've uh, made any roster moves to you know, restock their bullpen for the next three days here, or four days, excuse me. And uh, the, after this, they, I, you know, they, the road trip continues. I uh, believe, I'm not positive, I shouldn't I, they, This road trip does not end here. They have another uh, series after this one uh, before they go home. The Giants. The Reds. That's right, the Giants. And that's a big deal, too, obviously, for the wild card. So I'm sure they're going to be, as long as there's four or five teams involved in the wild card, and uh, amazingly during this kind of this stretch for a couple of weeks here, seems like they're playing each other with frequency. Uh, So we'll see what happens with that. I'm I'm guessing there's going to be – you know, this wild turn of you know, the wild card, no pun intended, on a daily basis, and uh, people lose their mind when you know something happens like yesterday. Oh, the Reds are behind the, you know, they're ahead of the Diamondbacks now. Well, great. You know, if they win tonight, they're going to be behind them again. Uh, so you know, I would uh, not get too carried away about the wild card standings until we get closer to the end of the season. A uh, question for you here, Joe, just about, you know, what would be successful for the Diamondbacks out of this four-game series here? So you don't get Zach Gallen as he's already pitched. You do have Merrill Kelly, but then you do have uh, potentially setting up for a couple of different bullpen games for the Diamondbacks here. So is a split considered a win? Gallen could pitch on Sunday. That would be on his regular rest. So that you know, would be four days rest. Yeah, I guess you're right, yeah. Sunday. Yeah, so he could. They haven't announced anything yet for Sunday. Uh, but, 
you know, they need to you know, at least split the series. I mean, well, not need to. I mean, mathematically, they certainly don't. But if the Reds are coming in here with the lead, I'm sure that the Reds would be thrilled if they left here with the lead. Uh, so that's just their viewpoint of things. So you should take the Diamondback side of things and the opposite, I guess. Like I said, unless somebody, you know, sweeps the series, I don't know if you can make a, you know, a, a blanket you know, assumption for the rest of the year, uh, considering the rest of the schedule and so forth. And and it's not like other than the Phillies, it's not like any of these teams that are in the quote wild card race are uh, really good, quite frankly. And I actually think that the Phillies are really good right now because they've kind of uh, seemingly solved a lot of their pitching issues, partly because they've gotten some guys off the injured list. It's more of that to me than it is the fact that they got Michael Lorenzen, who didn't do well again yesterday in his latest start with Philadelphia. If we have some time, we'll get into some more Major League Baseball in hour number two. Uh, we'll step aside, get some PGA Tour catch up with the tour championship underway but right now it's caller number three 602 260 1060 you're the winner of the four pack of tickets given away today for saturday august 26th as the diamondbacks are hosting the reds it's a 510 start it's also u of a night presented by chase time to bear down fans can purchase a special event ticket package to receive a game ticket and co-branded u of a diamondbacks t-shirt visit dbacks.com slash u of a to secure your tickets now 602-260-1060. Caller 3 is the winner of a four-pack of tickets for Saturday's contest. 602-260-1060. We'll dive into more Extra Point as we wrap up our number one of this Thursday, August 24th edition next here on KDOS AM 1060. Bringing you the latest sports topics weekly right here on KDUS AM 1060 with me, the Doug Gottlieb Show, 1 to 3 p.m. Wrapping up our number one on this Thursday, August 24th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortellaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. So taking a look at the PGA Tour and the Tour Championship, it all comes down to this. I know I've said it before, and I'll say it again as I try to figure out how things are going so far in round number one, is that uh, everyone has started off with a staggered start. So if you were coming into the event uh, in the first position for the FedEx Cup Challenge, uh, that gives you 10 under par to start your round, and that's Scotty Scheffler. Victor Hovland at number two, he gets to start his round at eight under par. Rory McIlroy gets to start at seven under par, and John Rahm at six under par. Those four guys have yet to tee off this morning here. Uh, Colin Morikawa, he is currently four under par. That's real four under par through nine holes, and that's five under for the tournament. He started the tournament at one under par. If we remember in yesterday's uh, preview here, I just didn't feel like there was anything that was worth betting on here because of the staggered start. And when I was just looking at the possibilities of who was going to have a realistic shot at winning this thing, I think it came down to Scotty, Victor, Rory, and John Rahm. So we'll see if I'm right about that prediction. If you know those four guys all struggle and somebody plays really above their average, above their mean 
screens here, which obviously they're capable of doing, but I think you'd have to have below average play from those four players and really above average play for the other guys to surpass them with the staggered starts. We'll see how things go, but when you could have placed bet opportunities in the shadow leaderboard event and we had talked about you know Max Homa playing really well last year and how if that could translate to this year so far he's two over par through one hole so he had a a rough first hole for himself the other player is Xander Shoffley in the shadow leaderboard if you will He's even through five holes as it is right now. Colin Morikawa, though, he has the best round of the day going so far at four under par through nine. And then you have uh, Adam Shank. He's three under par through nine, as well as Sam Burns is three under par through nine. So those are the best scores so far with the four guys yet to tee off from the Tour Championship at East Lake in Atlanta. One other thing going on in the PGA Tour, uh, Jay Monahan, he met the media in kind of a state of the PGA Tour this week and everyone wants to know what's going on with the PGA Tour PIF. How is this agreement going to look? They have until December 31st to get a deal ironed out. At this point in time, Jay Monahan's update is the conversations are ongoing and yet there are no real tangible details to offer. The hope is for the PGA Tour with this PIF influxing the PGA Tour that they can really uh, reinvest in the tour and one thing he did point out is reduce commercial inventory when you're watching the PGA Tour play golf. So we'll see how all of that unfolds. The deadline is December 31st. That'll do it for hour number one. Hour number two is coming up next right here on KDUS AM 1060.